Dark Knight of the Soul. Dark Knight of the Soul. That's uh, yeah. It, yeah. See, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, it, it generally happens when you start moving into a conscious place. I mean, and consciousness for me, and you know, we don't really know what consciousness is. We don't know whether. I mean, for me, I feel that our whole existence is a like the universe is basically consciousness, and we create our lives out of this consciousness. So what we think, the people we connect to, everything around us, the place we live, all all generally creates our lives. And the more conscious we become, that really just means that we become more aware. So, you know, we all have our belief systems and our belief systems are based on where we're born, what religion we're born in, what race we were, what sex we are, you know, what gender we are. Um, so, and what we were taught. And these become our belief systems. And we think that that's who we are, but it's really just a belief system. And what consciousness does is it helps you realize that there there's truths outside of the way we believe. And the more conscious you become, you expand your belief systems um, and it makes it way easier to live. There's not as much um, drama because you become way more accepting of other paths in life. Um, and so it's, yeah, so that's, it's been, but when you start doing that, you kind of push off from what, from what you've known and what you've been. And you generally will go through a difficult time because the people around you probably won't see it the same way and they won't like that you're changing. And it could, it could mean you end relationships. It could mean that you need to leave your job. It could mean a lot of different things. And it becomes kind of scary in the beginning. And that's what I mean, the dark night of the soul, which is basically the way you thought you were, you all of a sudden realize that that's, that's not really who I am. And that's not really who I want to become. And you may not know where you're going, but you know where you've been is not where you want to continue going. So you're usually alone at that point. And that's why it feels so dark is because there's a sense of solitude, um, even though you're really not. And that sense of solitude is actually important to the process because it forces you to go deeper inside yourself. And really the best things we can learn about life are in us. We hold all the answers. And yet, because of the way culture works, it pulls you out of yourself and puts you into the world. So you are getting information only from external sources, and they want you to teach no different things. They are teaching you what they want you to be as a culture. But when you allow yourself to go inside, and you can do this through meditation, some people do it by working with plant medicines, um, but it's a journey. It's not, it's not an overnight thing. It's something that you decide to do, and it's a process. And once you start doing that, then you start learning from yourself. And when you start learning from yourself, you're able to then bring it up and out into the world. And, um, and then you find other people that are feeling the same way as you. And then you find community. And once you find community, then you feel less threatened and less scared. And then you start supporting each other because you feel very vulnerable when you're going through this. But really, you know, vulnerability, I believe, is a superpower. We all feel that way. We all suffer. We all feel vulnerable. But it's when we're able to express our vulnerability and then someone goes, me too. 
I feel the same way. And then you share your vulnerability without shame or judgment. And that's the beginning of strength. And the more people that come together and share their vulnerability and build community around that and support each other, um, that's when you start having really earth-shattering changes in your life. Welcome to Learn or Be Learned. We either learn from others or others learn from us. The former is able to help us become a better, faster you. Follow me weekly as I dig up stories like a true anthropologist would on one of the three series called Guest Conversations, Book Applications, or My Small Talk Explorations. I'm your host, Shiva Danishaker, and let's talk. Welcome back, everybody. So I'm here today with an interesting guest. Her name is Linda Polio, and she has devoted a lot of her time to understanding consciousness, frequency, spirituality. And if I'm not mistaken, you switched from like marketing or something, correct? In your career? Yeah, I was in advertising, marketing, branding for many years. And then I moved from that into um, conscious marketing, sort of working with conscious business practices. And then from there, I just went full on in into consciousness and frequency and kind of, you know, where the next, where, where the next thing is for the planet. Mm -hmm. And where did that jump from marketing to conscious consciousness in marketing? When, how did that kind of happen? Well, I think it kind of happened organically for me because I was sort of born a little unusual and I was having a lot of energetic experiences as a child. Um, and I thought it was normal and other people didn't. So I learned to just stop talking about it. And so I kind of went through school and through my 20s and just sort of, you know, lived what was a pretty traditional life. I got into the corporate world because that's what you kind of did. And um, so I was in advertising, which was great. I ran new business for ad agencies for a number of years, and I was involved in um, a consultancy that I started, which was all about teaching people how to build biz uh, build business. And it sort of all kind of came around again when uh, my father, who I hadn't seen in 17 years because he was an alcoholic and we kind of cut ties with him at some point, but he had a heart attack and I was told he was dying and my uncle wanted to know whether we wanted to see him one more time. So I decided to go see him and we drove, like my brother and I drove two hours to Pennsylvania um, to say goodbye, basically. And at that point, I had already been working with the healing arts. I had been doing Reiki and therapeutic touch and working with crystals. And I was always very connected to energetic frequencies um, my whole life. And uh, so I started doing energy work on him and he came out of his coma. And about a month later, he came out of the hospital. And when he walked out, um, he just told me, I want one more year with you kids to sort of make up for you know, our childhood, which of course you can't, but you can at least become someone new that, um, you know, so you leave your children with better memories. So I took care of him for a year and um, we kind of redeemed him and redeemed the family and everything was great. I mean, we really, by the time he passed, I was with him when he passed. It was a very beautiful um, experience. And about three days after he died, I woke up in the morning and I heard a voice say, go to Sedona. 
And I had heard about Sedona, which is in Arizona, which is where I am now. And, um, but I'd never been here before, but I got on a plane about three weeks later. I had nowhere to stay. I didn't know why I was going, how long I was going for. And I just got here and found a place to rent and spent about five months. And I was started having all kinds of mystical experiences, which kind of reawakened me to the childhood energies and the childhood experiences that I had kind of suppressed over the years. So I spent five months here and then I knew it was time to go back. I just couldn't stay here forever. I had a you know business and I had a relationship and I had a family back in New York. So when I got back to New York, I really couldn't go back to that person that had just been going to work every day and living kind of the traditional life. I, I really felt like I now had to um, make a difference in the world and whatever I did. So um, it was the advent of conscious business practices. It was really when um, organics and solar energy and all these sort of new ways of living on the planet were beginning to take hold, being healthier. Um, it was, they were all little businesses that were beginning to blossom that were trying to make differences in the planet. And there was an organization called Lohas, which was one of them. And there was Conscious Capitalism, which was started by John Mackey, who was the founder, one of the founders of Whole Foods. And I got very involved in that. I became a thought leader in that and very involved in the idea of bringing conscious business practices and then what I call human technologies of wisdom, intuition, compassion, empathy, forgiveness into the business world. So into the corporate employee programs, into the way that they market. And um, I did that for a number of years and was very happy with that. And it was very exciting at that point in time because everyone that was doing that work were very passionate about it and very committed. So we became this really beautiful community of people that were very um, aware of um, our impact that we were making, um, hopefully on the future. And so finally, um, I was gearing up towards starting a really big consultancy again, and my mother fell and shattered her femur. <laughs> and I went into nine years of 24-7 oh care. <laughs> so everything that I thought I was going to be basically went out the window and I went into a, a, a very difficult um, time where um, they often call it the dark night of the soul, where you sort of lose everything that you thought you were going to be and uh, everything that you believed about life. And it becomes very uncertain, which is, I think we're going through sort of a, a global dark night of the soul right now where everything we thought we were going to be and how the world was going to work is not working the same way. And um, we have to kind of push off the shores of whatever we thought were normal and kind of go together into this unknown and see what we can create from this unknown place. Um, so I kind of went into it first with uh, my mother and it was nine years. It was very difficult. And during that period of time, um, actually, right before that, I started hearing the voice of an old black Southern woman, <laughs> and I started writing a book. And I didn't know I was writing a book for about a year, but she was very insistent that I tell her story. And it's a beautiful story. The book is called Trusting the Currents, and it's all about trusting the currents in life, no matter where they're taking you, even if they're taking you to places that you didn't expect to go to and you maybe don't want to go to, but you 
but you just feel that that's where you're supposed to be and, and you have to kind of follow that path. Um, so the whole time I was taking care of my mother, I was partially channeling the book, partially editing the book. Um, and then I indie published it myself. Um, and it's, it's done well. It's won 13 literary awards and it was an Amazon bestseller in inspirational fiction. But, um, so during that time I wasn't really working that much because between the book and my mother, um, I just sort of went down a different path and, that was a big lesson for me because I struggled against that for a long time. And I think that's what happens to a lot of us, you know, is the idea that we have to learn to go in a new direction. And, you know, learning is not just about educating yourself to something. It's about knowledge, which is very different than education. It's about understanding um, that maybe what you thought you were going to be or do is not what you were meant to be or do. And how do you learn to trust that, um, that you have to let go of that thing, um, whether it's a person, a job, a career, sometimes health, um, and allow yourself to learn to navigate into new terrain. So that kind of what I really learned in taking care of my mother was I was not in control of anything. I was in, I had something else was in control of me. Um, it could be a higher self. It could be sort of the patterns and frequencies of our ancestors. You know, it, there's a lot of different ideas about what that is, but I definitely felt like I needed to learn to let go of my expectations of, of myself. Um, and then uh, my mother passed in 2018, late 2018. And that was when I went, okay, I'm finally going to move to Sedona because I was, I had gone back, I had gone back and forth to Sedona in New York, which is where I was living for, for years. Um, I would basically go, go to New York, consult, make money, come back into Sedona, do a lot of spiritual work. I've done a lot of um, sort of learning of um, shamanism and different healing techniques and different, you know, how to work with frequencies and how to work with uh, what consciousness is. Um, as far as we know, because ultimately we don't really know anything. We can learn as much as we want, but we won't really know until we're dead <laughs> what the truth of any of our, right. our existence is. But we create these little existences here and we need to learn and we need to sort of manage that as best we can. So um, I, my mother passed and I said, okay, I'm going, I'm going to Sedona. And so I started, um, I came out here in 2019 to kind of do a little marketing 101 with my husband who had no intention of leaving New York. So I had to kind of get him involved with the whole moving to Sedona thing and spent six weeks here. And by the beginning of 2020, we were getting ready to go. I was giving up my apartment. I gave away 90% of everything I owned and came here with four suitcases just as the pandemic was moving in. So we got here and it was just dead. It was March of 2020. We were in quarantine. There was nothing on the shelves in the stores. There were no cars on the road. And we had to navigate again um, and learn how to be in a, in a new place, not knowing anyone in the middle of a pandemic, trying to figure out what we're supposed to be doing here. Because we had very specific plans of what we were going to do. But, um, you know, here it is two and a half years later and, you know, I'm, we've begun to kind of assimilate into the Sedona 
landscape here and get to meet people. And, um, you know, I, I really look at everything that I learned during the time um, for the last like 10 years, really 10, 10, 12 years that looked very difficult at the time. But now I look back at it and I see everything that I got from it and how much wiser I am and how much more information and knowledge I have about so many different things. Um, so ultimately, it was a, a very productive experience for me, but um, it wasn't the easiest. Right. I like I like how you said, you know, you talked about knowledge and wisdom and Personally, I think, you know, learning and knowledge is great, but unless you apply it or, you know, actually experience things, you're never going to gain the wisdom behind what you learned, right? So it's almost static. You're not actually growing. You're not actually changing, evolving, trying your fears, like you said. And and you talked about the, uh, I think, was it the darkness or Entering the, dark the darkness of the, of the soul or yeah. dark night of the soul. Dark night yeah. of the soul. That's See, the, I think yeah. that's really it, interesting. Yeah. It, it generally happens when you start moving into a conscious place I mean, and consciousness for me. And, you know, we don't really know what consciousness is. We don't know whether, I mean, for me, I feel that our whole existence is a, like the universe is basically consciousness and we create, our mm -hmm. lives out of this consciousness. So what we think, the people we connect to, everything around us, the place we live, all all generally creates our lives. And the more conscious we become, that really just means that we become more aware. So, you know, we all have our belief systems and our belief systems are based on where we were born, what religion we were born in, what race we were, what sex we are, you know, what gender we are. Um, so, and what we were taught. And these become our belief systems. And we think that that's who we are, but it's really just a belief system. Mm -hmm. And what consciousness does is it helps you realize that there, there's truths outside of the way we believe. And the more conscious you become, you expand your belief systems um, and it makes it way easier to live. There's not as much um, drama because you become way more accepting of other paths in life. Um, and so it's, yeah, so that's, it's been, but when you start doing that, you kind of push off from what, from what you've known and what you've been. And you generally will go through a difficult time because the people around you probably won't see it the same way and they won't like that you're changing. And it could, it could mean you end relationships. It could mean that you need to leave your job. It could mean a lot of different things. And it becomes kind of scary in the beginning. And that's what I mean, the dark night of the soul, which is basically the way you thought you were, you all of a sudden realize that that's, that's not really who I am. And that's not really who I want to become. And you may not know where you're going, but you know where you've been is not where you want to continue going. So you're usually alone at that point. And that's why it feels so dark is because there's a sense of solitude, um, even though you're really not. And that sense of solitude is actually important to the process because it forces you to go deeper inside yourself. And really the best things we can learn about life are in us. We hold all the answers. 
And yet, because of the way culture works, it pulls you out of yourself and puts you into the world. So you are getting information only from external sources and they want you to teach no different things. They are teaching you what they want you to be as a culture. But when you allow yourself to go inside and you can do this through meditation, some people do it by working with plant medicines, um, but it's a journey. It's not, it's not an overnight thing. It's something that you decide to do and it's a process. And once you start doing that, then you start learning from yourself. And when you start learning from yourself, you're able to then bring it up and out into the world. And, um, and then you find other people that are feeling the same way as you. And then you find community. And once you find community, then you feel less threatened and less scared. And then you start supporting each other because you feel very vulnerable when you're going through this. But really, you know, vulnerability, I believe, is a superpower. We all feel that way. We all suffer. We all feel vulnerable. But it's when we're able to express our vulnerability and then someone goes, me too. I feel the same way. And then you share your vulnerability without shame or judgment. And that's the beginning of strength. And the more people that come together and share their vulnerability and build community around that and support each other, um, that's when you start having really earth-shattering changes in your life. <laughs> I just want to say, Linda, that that was incredible because I resonate with with what you said. Okay, what's interesting is when you mentioned global awakening earlier, mm -hmm. and right, you were saying like people are starting maybe question their belief systems or start learning more. Mm -hmm. Perhaps I'm not sure what that is, but what's interesting is I think the pandemic was a catalyst to that for a lot of people, at least from my experience of talking to others. Yeah, suffering is is the number one way people wake up. Mm -hmm. It's because it becomes so uncomfortable in the cave that they're living in that they have to go out of the cave and they go out of the cave and at first they go wow look at all this light this is great i feel better but then they see their shadow and their shadow is the thing that says you're alone so unless you have people that are there with you you will become more you will want to go back into the cave but once you see the light you really can't go back you can try, mm -hmm. but you'll just make yourself more, more uh, miserable. So, you know, like people like me, and there are many people around the world that are, that are here to try to help people that are beginning to look at their lives differently and maybe want a different way of living. And, and we're, you know, we all have different opinions. We all have different places that we're coming from. And the most important thing that we need to um, bring to this is an open heart um, because we are going to bounce into people that have totally different belief systems than we are. And they're actually, you know, that's working with frequency. With frequency, it's either resonant frequency or dissonant frequency. So if you're resonating, mm -hmm. like I just said something that you resonated with because you felt it. Resonating is you actually feel it. So when you feel it, it feels good. It feels, oh, that's me. Oh, okay. I want to know more. And you go further. When it's dissonant, when it's a dissonant feeling, then you repel off of it. And sometimes it means you need to just step away and not go near that person, that situation, that job. Um, and other times it means not pay attention to the other person, but pay attention to why you're feeling that way and really investigate 
what prejudices you have, um, not what they're having, because I generally find that people that are in conflict together, all they're doing is triggering their deepest traumas. Like we all are carrying around traumas. None of us get through life without trauma. And we're in childhood. We always, most people have some kind of trauma that they're dealing with. And even if we had good parents, we still have traumas when we're two years old that maybe wouldn't look like a big deal, but when we were two years old, it was a big deal. <laughs> so we're carrying that around with us. And what happens is, you know, I have my little trauma, which is unconscious, because if it's conscious, that's good, because at least you know it's there and you can work on it. But mostly we're dealing with unconscious trauma that we don't even know is there. The only reason we know it's there is because you say something to me and I get offended or I don't believe you and I get angry at you and I force focused completely on you that you're the problem but really what it is it is a gift because it is telling you that there is something in you that wants to be seen and if you would just pull back from the conflict and really go into yourself and say where is that why do i feel that way when was the first time i remember feeling that way um you can you can do a lot of your own inner healing and once you you get through that you, you find a lot less enemies out there in the world. Yeah, you mentioned earlier that people have, you know, many different ways on how they take um, going through what they're dealing with, whether it's trauma, whether it's finding yourself, your soul again, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you mentioned meditating and, and others. And for me personally, I think journaling was was huge, was... At That's first, it, it wasn't. It, it felt kind of gimmicky. It felt mm -hmm. like, okay, this this is stupid. Why why am I putting? I, I'm already thinking this. Why am I putting it on the page? You're judging it. And then, <laughs> some. And then something interesting happened. Like I think around day four was I reached some sort of like flow state where I kind of my emotions were kind of just flowing through the page without me really having to judge it, think about it. Right. Just it just from thought to paper, it was just going down. And then I started, you know, discovering more about myself. And, mm -hmm. and it was more like, that was kind of my healing process, right? So I, I want to ask you, for me, that's very interesting. Is that a form of bringing su your subconscious to your conscious? What is yeah, flow yeah. state in that? In that's that that's what it is. It's you are bringing up the thing in you. I mean, the problem with going inside that people have is that one, they're not familiar with it. It's not familiar. Two, it's where we hold our trauma. So when we first start going in, we're going to be very uncomfortable. And, and people have to know that it's, it, it's normal to feel uncomfortable when you begin. Sometimes you get, um, you know, you think this is stupid. Sometimes you fall asleep. That's some people's protective mechanism. I'm going to try to do something. As soon as I go inside, I'll fall asleep. They can, so there, there are all <laughs> kinds of ways that your ego and your mind try to stop you from going inside. And then technology, of course, is the worst when it comes to that. You have to shut off everything because it completely pulls you out of your inner self. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's really about allowing yourself the deeper and deeper you go. And when you journal, you more and more go you you'll find yourself going deeper and deeper and deeper and then you can start asking yourself questions and you'll be surprised you'll start getting answers and not to mm -hmm. um not to judge your answers 
um, not to try to figure out where it's coming from um, and not to have any expectations. A lot of times it's really hard not to have expectations of what's happening. But um, when you start doing inner work, inner work is very, very subtle. It's very quiet. And we live in a very noisy world. So when you start doing this inner work, the reason you have to kind of come down and go into it is because it's hard to hear it. It's a very visceral experience. Like when you're journaling and you really start getting into it, you will start feeling it in your body. It, it inhabits your body. And then you start feeling it come up. And sometimes you'll see colors or you'll see forms or you'll see a lot of different things. And, and it's best just to let bring out what wants to come out without trying to figure out what it is. And you can always go back when you're out of that state. And you can look at it. I mean, I tell people a lot, like if you're, if you begin to journal, don't even look at what you're journaling for a month, just go back to it a month later and you'll go, it make, cause you'll, when you first look at it, it won't make any sense. But if you journal for a month and then you go back and look at it, you'll go, Oh, this makes total sense to me. I didn't realize it because you'll have, you're in a different place and your, your higher self or whatever that part of you is that, that communicates. And, you know, that's a whole nother podcast about what that is that communicates to you. Um, it, it really, it, it's very quiet. So you really want to take time with it. Um, and it's amazing what you can learn about yourself as I'm sure you're finding out by journaling. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on the duality of your, your conscious mind and your, and your thoughts? Right. You have your your subconscious brain telling you to do these things or, Mm -hmm. for example, I guess a good example would be you don't you want to start exercising because, you know, it's good for you. You know how you feel in the long run. You love it. But the other part of your mind's like, no, let's 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 lay down. Let's you know, let's go eat some food. Let's not do it. And it's almost like a battle in your own mind, like a duality. Right. Mm -hmm. So. How does that relate with your consciousness? Well, that's all about breaking patterns. We're, we are nothing but a bunch of patterns. We have our individual patterns. We have our familiar patterns. We have our cultural patterns. We have our national patterns or global patterns. And we're all caught in a pattern. And it's sort of the laws of inertia. You know, whatever's in, in, in motion wants to stay in motion. Whatever's inert wants to stay inert. So we have, you know, I'm sure you've been learning all about, you know, the rewiring of the brain. You know, we, when you have a, when you have a thought over and over and over again, um, it patterns your brain. So if you, if you don't work out, you don't work out, you don't work out, um, your whole life becomes not working out. So putting yourself into working out is then, oh my God, I have to change. I have to actually create a new universe to do that. And I always use the comparison. I have this thing, it's called my cupcake syndrome. And it's sort of like, um, I'm having a really bad day. And I'm walking down the street and there's a cupcake store. And I know the cupcake's bad for me, but I'm in a really bad mood. And I'm pretty sure that cupcake will make me feel better. So I'm standing outside the cupcake store looking at the cupcake and I have a choice. Do I walk past the cupcake store and just try to work on this feeling myself? Or do I go into the cupcake store, buy the cupcake, eat the cupcake, and then I don't have to work on myself. I can just let the cupcake do it for me. 
So I buy the cupcake, I eat the cupcake, and I'm right. I feel better. I walk out the store, I feel better. Two days later, I'm walking by the same cupcake store, but I feel okay. And now I'm looking at it, I go, huh, I feel okay, but that cupcake was really good. <laughs> and so you, you're beginning the pattern. And so you go, you're again at that pattern spot going, do I go in and have the cupcake or do I keep going? Let's say you go in and have the cupcake. You eat the cupcake. It's a good cupcake, but it's not the same because you, you didn't have the same need for the cupcake before. And what happens is every time you go around, you start patterning yourself as a habit to go in and have a cupcake to the point of when you have the cupcake, you start having self-loathing because you know it's bad for you. You didn't really want it, but you're used to having it. Whereas if you had taken the other route and you didn't go into the cupcake store, you would have not created that pattern. And you would have like eventually, as you walk by day after day after day, not even seen the cupcake store. You wouldn't have been triggered at all. So we become very patterned and those are hard to break. And what I usually say about patterns is, is the big patterns are, are so entrenched, they're very hard to break. So if you can start with little daily habits um, that are kind of like the scaffolding that hold up the bigger patterns. So, you know, if you drive to work one, one way, like if your life is you get up and you do the same thing every single day, you're in a pattern and it's very hard to break that pattern and say, I'm gonna go to the gym instead. So maybe drive to work a different way, get up at a different time, go and do something else. It's about taking small actions to break the patterns and then eventually, and or eat, you know, eat better. Like um, when I first time I came to Sedona, I went on raw foods and I lived on raw foods for like five months and I was so healthy and I felt great. And then I was going back to New York and I said to my friends here, I said, I, I'm never, never gonna be able to continue this in New York. First of all, no one I know is gonna eat like this. New York is full of good food and it's just not a place to eat. And a friend of mine said, you know, he said, first of all, he said, if you, if you, if you feel like eating something bad, he said, always keep two apples or two oranges. He said, if you feel like eating something bad, eat the two apples or two oranges first. He said 90% of the time that will kill your pain for what is really bad. And then he said, and if you do eat something bad, he said, just come back to the good eating. He said, what happens is people, when they go off their, you know, when they don't work out, like they're working out and then they don't work out and then they get disgusted with themselves. So then they don't work out again. But if you don't work out, forgive yourself, go, I just needed to not work out today. I, I'm, but then go back the next day. And I'm kind of working on that now because, you know, taking care of my mother, I wasn't working out that much. And then coming here, it was the pandemic. So I'm just beginning you know, the last few months to start exercising again, you know, I hike and I exercise, but every day I have to go, you know, there's a gym I have to go to. And some days I go, okay, I'm going to get there. And other days I make up a million excuses why I don't. But the thing is to forgive yourself when you don't do it, because then you just create self-loathing, which is going to make it worse. And, and just take small actions to, I mean, even if at, Drop on the floor and do 10 push-ups wherever you are, just to tell your body that you care for it. You know, show your body respect and it will eventually move you in a new direction. It, but I, I find small steps are way better than kind of trying to do something all at once. It's very, very hard to break a pattern. 
and to get other people involved is very helpful. Right. That sounds a lot like James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. I, I don't know if you've read it, but he talks about things like yeah, habit. He talks about like habit loops, which makes a lot of sense, right? Once you're in that loop, the inertia keeps you going in circles and it's hard to break it. And he, yeah. he talks about compound growth is huge. He says, you know, a 1% growth every day over the course of a year is way bigger than, you know, every day you create this identity for yourself where you're like, oh, I guess today's another day I don't exercise, right? And and he talks a lot about identities and, and how you have to kind of, to change your actions, you have to change how you think who you are, like you said, with the cupcakes, right? It's It's almost like, I should deal with this myself, you know, not go find a vice or an instant gratification that's only going to push off the inevitable. Um, but yeah, I, I, I liked a lot of what you said. And, and something I've noticed is success leaves clues. And a lot of successful people talk about uh, manifestation and visualization and how they had, they brought mm -hmm. ideas from their mind out into the real world you know, what are, what exactly are these maybe buzzwords or words of wisdom that these people actually incorporate in their lives? What was that? One more time. I, I, I missed that question. Oh, no worries. I, I was saying like to you, what does manifestation or visualizing your dreams, what, what exactly is that? Oh, um, well, that's working with energy. Um, I'm not a big believer in like manifestation. Like I want to get a car or I yeah, want, because right. I, uh, I think intention is, it, it really begins with intention. And I think a lot of it is, you know, particularly when you're trying to break a pattern or you're trying to, you have to, you have to be the person that has that. So, and that's not meaning like you need anything external, you have to in yourself, like you wake up one day and you want to be, have a great body. So you go, I have a great body. Now having a great body, how would, how would I act that day? I would go to the gym. I would eat healthy because I would already know that, um, that that's the way I'm going to keep this, this body. You know, we, we try to push an elephant up a hill. And what we need to do is just know that we're on the top of the hill already and just act like we're there and act like the person that you want to be. Like if you're looking for a particular success in, in life, um, know you are that person. And that's the energetic thing. It's a feeling. It's not about external um, uh, gratification or validation. It's really about you knowing these things and Sometimes that's hard because we have a lot of um, uh, self-worth issues, you know, that we're, that we're kind of harbored with from our childhoods. So, you know, we may think we deserve all this stuff, but then there's a, that unconscious trauma in us going, but you don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. So sometimes it helps to just act like the person who does deserve it and take actions based on that. And you'd be surprised how the universe just sort of, and that's really manifestation, you know, and they talk about manifestation too, that you look back at yourself um, five years, you go, 
and you imagine that you are looking, you are successful at whatever it was you wanted, and you're looking back at it, and you're remembering how you got there, and then you and then you take the actions that you need to take to get you the place. It's it's hard to um, even though it's about living in the moment. It's we don't live in a linear existence. It, we 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 are. We've been we were created in a linear existence because we have time and culture requires us to know where to be, when to be it. But you know the universe is not linear, so being in the moment doesn't necessarily mean from where you are right now. You could put yourself in a moment in the future where you already have accomplished what you wanted, and then you think back at how you got there, and then you start taking little steps. Um, you know, it, it really does. It's really about our own inner work. And hopefully we find, again, there are people, there are books, there are workshops, there are podcasts, there are um, you know, all different kinds of avenues and um, resources for you to get inspired because we all need to get inspired. I mean, we live in a world that is very uninspiring right now <laughs> and we need to find ways to inspire ourselves so it doesn't feel so heavy and, and and we sort of know that even though we're going through a somewhat dark time right now, that we will get through it and we'll get through it because we're going to evolve ourselves into a more conscious being. And we're going to find our community of people that really care about us and see us. You know, most people don't really feel like they're seen, you know, so they want to be, you know, on Instagram and they want to be all because they don't feel seen. And if you really feel seen in your life by the people that care about you and that you care about, then you have less, less problems with that. Um, so yeah, that's, um, I think, I think manifestation is, um, you have to be careful with that. I think it's, um, it's, it's a tool, but, um, it can be used for, or used for things that you really don't need, but, um, it does exist. It's a, it's a, it's working with frequencies and it's working with the frequency of, of being the person that you want to be. Right. And I guess let's, let's dive a little bit into this idea of like frequencies and energies. Right. I, something that's interesting is, you know, I've done a lot of journaling and thinking and, and then I'll think of certain ideas and then to see people talking about it or to see that this idea has been developed upon is really exciting for me because it's it's realizing oh I'm thinking the right you know I'm thinking in the right direction so <laughs> um, so it's always interesting to hear people talk about energies and frequency and so I I was in India a few months ago and I would go for a walk in the morning every morning and I noticed in front of people's houses every morning, the wives would put this sort of design symbol kind of at, made out of some sort of white chalk material. Um, in my language, we call it a, a column. Um, I'm not really sure what it's called in English, but it's basically just a design, one long interconnecting design where it's, um, I'm not sure if I'm explaining this well, but it's it, it, right. So it's a design. And something I realized was um, I saw a video where this frequency was shot or this vibrational frequency was um, put through the sand and marble and it 
like it was creating like circular designs as well. Created, yeah. Right. And, yeah. and, and then I started looking Amazing. at them and they looked a lot like the designs I saw in front of people's houses. Cause I thought to myself, I was like, that's a very interesting design. Why, you know, for our, the culture is very old, right? Indian culture is very old. So I, I think to myself, why have people been doing this for so long? And quite frankly, I think, you know, over time that, that reason of why gets lost because not enough people ask, um, I guess in my opinion, yeah. but it was just interesting, right? So frequencies, energy, like, and even in religion and culture, we see a lot of religions involved in sound. Sound is huge in a lot of religions, prayers, bells. Yeah, sound is, I'm a big believer in sound therapy. I just finished a, a seven week um, course in sound healing. And I believe that sound is the future of um, the future of health because, in fact, I, I was telling you before we went on that I, I just had a session and it was all working with Tesla frequencies. And, you know, frequencies, you know, fre frequencies are mathematics. And, you know, these designs are kind of sacred geometry. They are the designs that come from sound and from frequency. And, and the same thing. And I don't uh, forget the gentleman's name who did all those studies with water. Um, that if you put sound into sand, let's say, and you use a resonant frequency, it creates a beautiful design. But if you use dissonant frequencies, it creates not so great designs. And if you look at cancer, cancer has very, um, like the, like the, uh, the designs that come with cancer are very dissonant frequencies. It's, it's dissonant. So they're, they're ugly and broken. Whereas health comes out as very beautiful design. So, um, yeah, frequency is a very um, probably, you know, long and complex um, understanding. But, you know, we are right. made up of energy. And that energy is made up of frequencies. And everything is frequencies. You know, this glass with water is frequency. Colors are frequencies. Forms are frequencies. You know, um, thoughts right. are frequencies. So once you realize that, and that's why thoughts are so powerful, because when you think something, um, that thought, you know, it, it's like a thought, and then it's an intention, and then it's an emotion, and then it's an action. So a lot of people have crazy thoughts, but they don't take it any further. But those crazy thoughts are out there. And a lot, you know, a lot of what's going on in the world right now is because we're all a little crazy. And those, that, those frequencies are dissonant. And so they're making people uncomfortable. And we're, we're basically these kind of tuning forks. You know, we, we're all water. Um, we're, we're electrical and we're water. So we're basically resonating with whatever is coming at us. Um, so when we get emotional, um, it really changes our frequency. And then we, then, then we have to decide, are we going to take action on it? And we either take negative action or positive action. And I have this other thing that I do when I get freaked out, you know, I really kind of taught this to myself when I was taking care of my mother and I'd be having these major meltdowns. And I had this one moment where I had gotten, gone away for a few days. I finally got someone to take care of her and I went away for a few days and she called me and I got this panicked feeling that I was going to have to go back before I was ready to go back. And I remember what, observing the emotion in me, a big part of this is becoming the observer to yourself so that when you're observing 
emotional distress or trauma or anger or whatever emotion you you try not to become it but you observe it like you're watching television and you oh that's how isn't it weird how linda's feeling right now and just put a little bit of space between you and that feeling and so i did that and i said to i looked at my right hand and i said is this true is the way i'm feeling is this emo this strong emotion that I was feeling, this fear I was feeling, is that true to the moment? And then I realized it's not true. I was just making stuff up in my head based on my past experiences. I was projecting it into my future, but my present, I was totally fine. And so I looked at my other hand, I said, so what is true? And at the time I was sitting in this beautiful place. I said, I'm sitting in this beautiful place. I'm you know, sitting in hot springs and it's, I'm enjoying myself and everything is fine. And then I decided to take, and then, then I decided to take one small action. So I went and made myself a green juice. And that was my one small action. And I found that by not, by not um, kind of going down the rabbit hole of that negative emotion, by observing it, really deciding whether it was really true at that moment, or was I just being triggered and then realizing, okay, I'm just being triggered and then saying, everything's okay right now. Let me go do something positive. The thing that I was so afraid of that I was, I was absolutely positive of just evaporated like a fog. So it's, um, it's really important that we, we realize that we're, we're not our emotions. They happen to us and we have to observe them. Um, and this is not something that you can do all the time. Um, again, it's, we have to have a lot more personal forgiveness for ourselves because we're, we're harder on ourselves than we are on anybody else. Um, and there's a lot of shame in the world right now and judgment. So we have to be our own best friends. And I think, you know, to when you're feeling that emotion as best you can, try to really take a look at it, try to pull yourself away from it and just do something good for yourself. Listen to some beautiful music. Go take a walk in the woods, make a green juice. And you'll be surprised how it changes your perspective. Right. As someone who has, you know, previous science background and religion, anthropology background, I had a unique experience of seeing both sides of basically trying to answer the same question, which is, you know, what is life? And it was yeah. interesting, right? So to see that it seems like science and religion are opposing, but from my experience, it seems like to see both pictures, it's, it seems like they're both kind of coming together in a way. Um, even science has shown that- They say that, the same thing. Yeah. Even science has shown that meditation- Someone who's um, meditated for a long while can almost immediately change their frequency of brain state to, I think it's like the mm -hmm. delta waves, which is a lot more calm. Yep. And, and that's, that's mm -hmm. proven. So I think the, with science, it's, it's, if it's not proven, then it, it's not real. Right. So it's, it's always that kind of battle. But when you see both sides and you see them kind of as science keeps getting further and further you know, evolving, we're seeing this sort of idea of consciousness in, in other realms of reality, right? Or how trees actually can communicate with each other. Just because we can't hear it or see it doesn't mean they don't have a different frequency of existence. Um, and that is also proven in science. We're starting to see that. 
Yeah, I mean, trees are connected through the uh, underground um, mycelium, mm-hmm. and these and these mycelium, um, which are actually you know mushrooms, actually have a lot to do with it. Mushrooms are beautiful communicators. Right. They trees can communicate across the country through this mycelium that is under the ground. So there is. You know, we don't know more than we do know. And I think, you know, we live in this little tiny world where where we believe certain things. But, you know, they they believe that the sun, you know, revolved around the earth for a long time. And science only believes in what it's already learned. And it just tries to push it a little bit further. But really, the, the biggest changes in our lives have become because because we took quantum leaps in our belief systems, you know, and, you know, mostly people get died in the beginning, you know, Copernicus died. I mean, these people that bring these new ideas, these are the heretics. Um, and so it's difficult because usually the, it's a little struggle to bring these new ideas in, but once, once more people start believing them, and I think that's where we kind of are now, or people are beginning to look at, the world differently and look at themselves differently and realize that maybe there's, I mean, for me, spirituality is merely what is yet unseen. We just, we think it's magic. Just like when Christopher Columbus or Magellan sailed and they first, the, you know, indigenous tribes first saw them on a boat. They're all, this is magic. They were gods because they had never seen it before, but it, it but they weren't. And, um, and I think we, we have a lot of that in, in us. We don't, we don't want to look at what we don't already know. We want to know what we know. And I think we're at a time now where we really, all of us need to push off the shore of our comfort zone of familiarity and realize that maybe what we're looking for, we don't know yet. And if we work together um, and just expand our belief system a little bit, um, we will discover new ways of living that we that would that were unfathomable i mean look at the internet 50 years ago no one would have thought that we'd be in a technological age that we are now imagine what we can do 50 years from now if we all emerge ourselves into consciousness imagine how we can transform the planet in a way more positive way right when i first started college in I my first class was chemistry, uh, general chemistry, and I think within the first couple of weeks we learned about this really interesting thing called the double slit experiment. And essentially, long story short, what they at the end of this experiment it was the most mind blowing thing I had ever heard in college, and it got me thinking all the time. Right. So basically, what happened was they shot this electron. And it behaved in a certain pattern, right? So they shot it, it, it landed on the, you know, the target or whatever, and it behaved in a certain pa- pattern. And then they said, okay, let's record it this time. So they had a camera, you know, this fancy equipment and all, and they had, an, they figured out a way to record the electron being shot this time. And this time, instead of acting like a wave, it just shot straight through when when the camera was there yeah. and then they thought that was weird so they take the camera back try it again same thing so they realized <laughs> and, and this is this is the actual conclusion of the experiment is it the electron behaves differently when observed and that's how they concluded it 
So yes. and that and it was left at that. Consciousness. Because, yeah. But they don't explain why they, because they don't know why. Right. And what we have to admit how little we know. I think once we realize that we know very little, I mean, we didn't know what radio waves were until we were able to record them. We didn't know a lot until we until we had the equipment to be able to record things. And I believe there's a lot going on out there in the ether that um, we don't really know. And, you know, I've, I've noticed that when I become aware of like an insect, all of a sudden it becomes aware of you. So mm. there's a consciousness that that permeates everything, I think, you know, definitely on the planet and, and you know, way out from the right. planet. But um, we just have never really studied it. I mean, if all the major universities would have um, a department of consciousness and they really put research into it, it'd be it'd be very different. We have a different world. But, um, you know, once you. Once you introduce people to their own power that lies within their own consciousness and their own ability to manifest, um, you sort of lose control of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's it's something that is not encouraged right. <laughs> in the world right now. I'll have to send you that YouTube video because it's like eight minutes. It talks about the experiment. It's It's crazy because I think a lot of people think spirituality religion and science are very separate because science won't admit something without evidence and proof and right and religion um doesn't require proof to have faith so essentially they're asking the trying to answer the same questions just going about in different ways and so it's it's very interesting to also pull science into the idea of spirituality because that might be the best way to convince Maybe it's just me who went through a science background, but anyone that a lot of people that have a science background tend to become more, they almost shave down to an answer, right? Instead of leaving it to, we don't know, or it's something out of our control. It's let's, you know, this has to be it, right? Like, you know, the big bang happened because of this. Science does not like don't know. So they'll come up with a theory. Right. (laughs) And the theory is a placeholder for what I don't know. And theory, it's like we don't know what's in, we don't know most of what's in the ocean. We don't know anything that's in the universe, hardly. So, but they have theories. So, so the theories hold the space for actually knowing. Um, and really, we don't know anything. We only know what we think we know. Um, but that will drive people crazy. So, um, you know, you know, for me, it's like we have this this sort of landscape of consciousness that we create our little nests in. And in those nests, we have culture, you know, and we have belief systems so that we as these human beings can function um, without going nuts. And but it helps if we realize that maybe we don't really know and um, let's kind of open ourselves up a little bit because the exploration into consciousness is t- really fascinating and um, very mind opening and very heart expanding. When you start moving into consciousness, your heart will expand because when you start seeing the interconnectedness of all beings on the planet and you will viscerally feel this, 
you realize I, you know, I mean, I, I mean, my husband is not really into any of this. So, you know, I see a bug in the house. He wants to kill it. And I'm right. like, no, <laughs> let me take right. it outside. Because I know that there is a connection. Now, will the world end if I kill the bug? No, but I realize that there is a connection and that, you know, we have to all kind of support that bug has a role here. And, you know, that's part of the problem we're doing. We're killing all these things that we think we don't need. And, you know, we think that we're at the top of the food chain in this, uh, on this planet. And we're actually the bottom of the food chain because if the krill in the ocean die or the bumblebees die, we die. If human beings die, the rest of the planet flourishes. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, we nothing on the planet needs us and we need everything on the planet. That's, that's very true. <laughs> so yeah. We have a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit more perspective of, of, of our importance mm, here. Correct. <laughs> so Linda, I want to ask one last question to wrap this up and it is, what is something or a piece of advice or something you have either learned from someone else or you want others to learn from your own personal experiences that you would like to share with the audience so uh, some advice you either learn from others or you want others to learn from you um oh my god that's a loaded question well i mean i think i think it's both i think i've learned this from others um not anyone in particular but um it's and and it's a it's a it's been around for a long time and it's know thyself that unless you truly know yourself you have no chance in the world except to be a cog in a wheel from birth to death you when you know yourself um, you help other people know you I mean a lot of times you know like I said like most people feel unseen but the real reason they feel unseen is they're walking around with this mask on that they're showing the world but the, their true self is not being expressed. And I think the best thing anyone can do is spend the time to really get to know um, and appreciate who who you are, because a lot of people don't even know who they really are. They think that they're all these external things, but that part of you that is very, very deep you, that's, that's what really wants to come out. And once you really know yourself, then it's a game changer and your perspective on life and your perspective about relationships and what you want to do with your life completely alters. So I, I think, and um, you know, I learned that from many different people in many different ways. Um, And yeah, I think it's um, that to me is the most important thing. I would agree. It's like in those manuals when you're in a plane that says, you know, help yourself before you help a passenger, right? It, I think a lot of people want to do good and help others, yeah, but something I always say is, you know, you have to, you have to help yourself first. You can't make change. You can't help others if you're not solid in who you are, because your weak foundation is going to topple at some point once you, you know, take too much responsibility. Well, that's it. And you can't help yourself if you don't know yourself. Yeah. Because a lot of people try to help themselves, but they're, but they're helping a false self. They're they're helping the this mask that they've created to protect their vulnerable parts. And if they allow their vulnerability to come out and just let it 
vomit out of you, really, because that's the way it comes out. It, it, it'll, it'll be messy. It'll be messy in the beginning when you're going and doing inner work. It's going to be messy. And if you realize that and you have some support um, around you in whatever shape, form it shapes, and, and you allow yourself to process what's coming up, um, you'll become a new person. And it's just makes life way more interesting <laughs> and, and way more fun. And it becomes more of an adventure than a, than a, a, a struggle. Agreed. Well, Linda, thank you so much Even for with being the struggle. here. Right. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. And uh, I really appreciate having the, having really you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. I love what you're doing. I'm, I'm very grateful you're out there, you know, helping people to learn because learning, like you said before, learning does not stop when you, when you leave school That's just the beginning, mm -hmm. you know, you, you really learn till the end of your life. Right. Right. Well, thank you for being here and uh, I appreciate it. You're welcome.